session we are walking our way through the book of Job and we are declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ as we go now as we come to our section today we recall that Solomon said a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity but when friends add to your suffering and what they say only makes matters worse well who needs friends anyway and it seems that Job's friends couldn't help it because they did not know God. They didn't really even know Job, and they didn't even know themselves. And we're going to hear Job's reply to Eliphaz, and we'll also be introduced to the second friend, Bildad the Shuhite, on this edition of Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, as our study brings us today to chapter 6, at verse 16 of the book of Job. So I invite you to come along with us today as we go again to the land of Uz, where Job is sitting at the city dump, and around him his three friends and a whole crowd of people has gathered as these men uh, carry on an intellectual contest. The crowd is looking on, and as we enter into the word of God, let's do so with a word of prayer. Please bow your heart with me. Our gracious God, um, we would ask that you come along with us, that you lead us into your word now, Father, that you guide us and teach us by your spirit, that you illuminate your word to us and give us understanding of the things that you want us to know. And we pray all this in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Now Job is going to go on in his complaint here, and he says that his brethren actually have misunderstood. They are not evaluating the situation correctly, and he says that, well, he thought they would be warm to him, but they only wax warm. Their warmth is shallow, and it vanishes away. Verse 16 of chapter 6 of Job which are turbid because of ice and into which the snow melts. When they become waterless, they are silent. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. And Job has spoken of the fact that they are like ice. It's all deceitful. It looks like a pool that's covered over with snow, but ice beneath it that's holding it up. And if you step on it, well, then you'll fall. And that is the type of friend that these men have turned out to be. Now, verse 18, the paths of their course wind, the paths of their course wind along. They go up in noth into nothing and perish. The caravans of Tima looked, the travelers of Sheba hoped for them. They were disappointed for they had trusted. They came and were confounded. Indeed, you have now become such. You see a terror and are afraid. Have I said, give me something? Or offer a bribe for me from your wealth, or deliver me from the hand of the adversity, or redeem me from the hand of the tyrants? Now Job describes his friends here as being about as useful with their advice as a dried up old riverbed in summertime. You're not helping, he says. 
He says, all I'm asking here for is a little sympathy. I'm not asking you for some great gift, some great gift of deliverance. And Job goes on here to say, well, if you have something to tell me, then tell me and teach me. I'm teachable. Verse 24, teach me and I will be silent and show me how I have erred. How painful are honest words. But what does your argument prove? He tells Eliphaz, man, what you've said is good, but it doesn't touch my case at all. You're not speaking to me. You're not diagnosing my condition at all. Job says he's misdiagnosed. He's, he's misdiagnosed this. He says it's one thing, and it's not that. If you diagnose it accurately, and you actually have something to say, well, then I'll listen to you. But you see, as we, as we'll find out, the problem of all three of these men is they did not know God, and they did not know Job, and they really did not know themselves. They just didn't quite understand. And they're all going to assume that Job had sinned and that he's holding out and he won't come out with it and that what's happened to him is judgment because of that. And someone may say, but Job did say, show me how I've erred. Yes, but Job was not saying there that he had sinned. He was saying to his accusers, if I have sinned, if I have sinned, Show me where. Job was really suffering, and he gives an indictment against his friends for their insensitivity. Now understand that Job was also not claiming that he was sinless either. But he was certain, as we are from reading the first two chapters, that there was no sin in his life which had directly caused this suffering. Now notice verse 26. Do you intend to reprove my words when the words of one in despair belong to the wind? You would even cast lots for the orphans and barter over your friend. Now please look at me and see if I lie to your face. Desist now. Let there be no injustice. Even desist. My righteousness yet is yet in it. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern calamities? And Job is going to continue now to answer Eliphaz in chapter 7 here. He says, chapter 7, verse 1, Is not man forced to labor on earth? Are not his days like the days of a hired man, as a slave who pants for the shade, and as a hired man who eagerly waits for his wages? So am I allotted months of vanity, and nights of trouble are appointed me. In other words, there just seems to be no end to his sorrow and to his pain. And Job is a sick man, by the way. Don't forget that. He's actually a very sick man at this time. And they've completely ignored that. They've not even attempted to deal with that. And Job has found no help, no sympathy anywhere. Even his own wife. She was no comfort. His wife, his helpmeet. She has suggested suicide. And when this world caved in and crumbled around him, this man, Job, he became a distraught and frustrated man, a man to be pitied. Pain racked his entire body, and he suffered from insomnia and worm and dust-infested flesh, continuous oozing of these painful boils that covered his whole body. 
listen to this man here in chapter 7. He says in verse 4, When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise? But the night continues, and I am continually tossing until dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. Without hope. In other words, Job felt like he had an incurable disease. And he probably did, to tell the truth. And he knew that the end was coming. It was not far away. Now, in this wretched condition, his friends have not paid any attention to that at all. And his friends have come to visit, but they've not really ministered to him. In fact, they've accused him falsely. I'm not going to say that they weren't real friends, but the point is, they just did not understand. A friend is someone who knows you and still loves you but he must know you. These three friends did not know Job. And this is something that is quite interesting. Job says, you're just a mirage in the desert because you're not actually talking to my problem at all. And they, of course, did not know God. We will see that. When God finally broke through, he could say that these men had certainly not given good advice at all. Now, Job will go on to say here that his physical condition should have at least called for sympathy from them. Now, listen to him as he talks to them here, verse 7 of chapter 7 of Job. Remember that my life is but breath. My eye will not again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no longer. Your eyes will be on me, but I will not be. When a cloud vanishes... It is gone. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He will not return again to his house, nor will his place know him any more. Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the sea monster that you set a guard over me? If I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me by visions. Job felt like a breath or a cloud that just comes and goes. And on the basis of all of his suffering, Job felt that he had the right to express his complaint. And he's not some threatening force which needed to be curbed or watched for its destructive power. He's not a sea monster. He's not the sea. Job is a really very sick man. He is seriously diseased, and he's weakened. And he is suffering from these terrifying visions of, and, and dreams, and he can't even sleep. He's, he's just yearning for death at this point. Verse 15, so that my soul would choose suffocation, death, rather than my pains. This man says very frankly, I want to die. Verse 16, I waste away. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. In other words, just let me die in peace. Just go away. Leave me be. Just let me die in peace. 
Then he goes on, verse 17, What is man that you magnify him, and that you are concerned about him, that you examine him every morning, and try him every moment? And he says that he wishes now that God would just leave him alone. He senses that he's being tried, but he does not have the foggiest notion of what's in back of it at all. He says, verse 19, Will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone, until I swallow my spittle? My, isn't that a picture of this man? He says, leave me alone, leave me in my own misery. And now he's going to say this to them. He says, if you are raising the question of my sin, I'm not saying that I'm guiltless. He says, I have sinned. But why single me out for the attack as a, a notorious sinner? Why make my life that when I'm not that kind of a sinner? The thing that you should do is show sympathy to me. Listen to him here. Verse 20. Have I sinned? What have I done to you, a watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? And he's sort of turning here from speaking directly to these men to speaking to God, maybe speaking to God through these men. And what he does here, he confesses that he is a sinner. But he's saying he's getting more comeuppance than he deserves. And now the last verse here, verse 21. Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me, but I will not be. And what he's saying now to his friends is he's saying, Look, I'll be glad when I die because then you fellas can't bother me anymore. You can see that there's been this breaking down of Job. There's this breaking down of his integrity, actually. And that's what's taking place here. And when man has his own integrity broken down, he becomes an easy target for Satan. And that's the thing that happens to many a man today. And before long, why, the devil's got him pinned down because he's broken the man's integrity down. And he gets into the same situation that Job is. Now, is Job going to break under all this? Well, the next man who is going to step up and make his attack upon Job is Bildad. And his argument is found here in chapter 8. Now, let's say a word or two about Bildad first. He is what you might call a traditionalist. He is a man who rests upon the past. And the center of his argument is found here in verse 8 of chapter 8. Please inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. You see, he attempts to pick up the old rocks and stones of geology, and by looking at them, well, he'll tell you what happened years ago and what's going to happen because of that. And the evolutionist actually is really a traditionalist. Many people do not recognize that, but he rests upon the past. And he's really making certain promises that he can't prove, by the way. And today, the, the promises and the premises are assumed. And there are only, by the way, there are only two explanations for the origin of the universe. One of them, of course, is creation. And the other is speculation. 
and evolution is speculation. Now, it's very nice to be able to pick up this bone and try to date it and then try to classify it as belonging to this period in this development of man. But who knows? Even scientists, even the best scientific minds in the world don't even agree on that. And this book here is going to raise the question. In fact, God himself will ask the question of Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And so this man, Bildad here, he's going to say things like, when I was young and inquire of uh, our ancestors, and he says, well, we've been doing it this way. And in fact, he knew a lot of old expressions and proverbs and sayings and pious platitudes, but he offers nothing new at all. And actually, he is very crude in his method. He's even more crude than Eliphaz was. And he's going to break in on this man, and he actually, I think, hurts him a great deal. He certainly doesn't help him at all. Now, this is Bildad, who's supposed to have been his friend. Verse 1, chapter 8 of Job. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered, How long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a mighty wind? Now, quite frankly, these men get in some really good verbal jabs. I don't know if you caught that one, but he called Job a windbag. He's just blowing air, Bildad says. How long will you say these things? How long will the words of your mouth be a mighty wind? This is real verbal sparring going on here. These are all brilliant men to tell the truth. But Bildad puts the knife in here and he twists it just a little bit. He says, Job... Listening to you is just like listening to the wind blow. You're a windy individual. And I would say that all of these men are that, by the way, including Job. And we're going to see that there's some, there is something wrong with Job. We're going to come to that a little bit later. But notice this. He says, How long will you say these things, and how long will the words of your mouth be a mighty wind? I would say that's a good one. That was good for a laugh. And as we said before, a crowd had gathered around these men. And this was as interesting in that day as a football game or a basketball game would be today. The intellectual contest appealed to them, not a physical contest. They must be very uncivilized and not really up to it and civilized like we are today, right? Now listen to Bildad here, verse 3. Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert what is right? Now, what's he getting at? What he's really saying is, Job, you're getting exactly what's coming to you. And he says, Job, all this means is that there is some great sin in your life, and you're getting exactly what you deserve. Listen to him, verse 4. If your son sinned against him, Then he delivered them into the power of their transgression. Now that's a horrible thing to say. He's suggesting that Job's children were destroyed because they were sinners. I can't imagine anything that would hurt Job more than that. And especially because this man, Bildad, he didn't know that. By this time, we know. God let us in on it at the beginning. And they were not destroyed for that reason. Now, will you notice verse 5? 
If you would seek God and implore the compassion of the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, surely now he would rouse himself for you and restore your righteous estate. Now, Job, if you were lily white, like you're giving the impression that you are, then God would hear your prayer, and he would heal you and restore you. But he doesn't do that. So there's obviously something radically wrong here. Now he says, verse 7, Though your beginning was insignificant, yet your end will increase greatly. And by the way, that is what's going to happen. It will increase. God's going to double everything Job had at the end. But that's what this man is saying now to him. And now he says, verse 8, Please inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. Now he's going back and giving you the old evolutionary theory. And he's going to say that all of these things work according to law. And there's quite a few of these laws that he puts down. They're all old sayings. Listen to him now. Verse 9. For we are only of yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are as a shadow. Now, I don't think Bildad here, he doesn't mean that he doesn't know. He means that Job doesn't know. We are only of yesterday and know nothing. And that, by the way, is a true statement. But that was true of Bildad as well. And it's true of the evolutionists today, and it's true of you, and it's true of me. We are but of yesterday and know nothing. Actually, mankind on this earth is a Johnny-come-lately. We just haven't actually been around here for that long. And God just hasn't seen fit to tell you what he was doing way back a million years ago. But after all, I'm quite frankly not too interested in what he was doing a million years ago. I'm very much interested in what he's going to be doing a million years from today, because, well, I expect to be around for that. And that's the thing that should interest you and me, my beloved. And that, by the way is something that separates Bildad, say, for instance, from Paul. Paul's philosophy was pointing to the future and to Christ. And he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 3, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ in Christ Jesus. But this man here, he's going back to the past, you see? And he says, verse 10, Will they not teach you and tell you and bring forth words from their minds? In other words, these rocks from yesterday that we dig up out of the ground or, you know, all those rocks that they brought back from the moon, well, that rock can tell you something. So you better listen to it. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't think it's going to tell you very much. As a matter of fact, there were some scientists down in Houston, Texas, who looked at the moon rocks that they brought back from Apollo 11. And they said that there were rocks out in West Texas that are exactly like those rocks. And my question is, well, why didn't they just run a truck out to West Texas to pick up rocks after that instead of keep spending money going back to the moon? But they kept going back for a little while until they realized the nation had kind of lost interest and they weren't really going to learn anything new anyways so they stopped going but the point is these things don't really teach you what you should know 
It's like that doctor we mentioned, the one who tried to diagnose Job's condition. Now, that man, I'm sure, knows a lot about medicine and about surgery, but the important things, the complete Word of God and the eternal things, he very frankly doesn't know very much about them. And this whole thing about men playing with a few little rocks and a few little bones and then pretending they know how the universe and the earth began and all of its development, may I say to you, that at its face value should be dismissed. Because man is assuming more than he possibly could know. Now notice, Bildad is going to become very scientific. Listen to him here. Verse 11. Can the papyrus grow up? Without a marsh, can the rushes grow without water? And the answer to that is obvious. Any third grader knows that. I learned that at a very young age. Plants need water. You just, you just got to water them if you want them to grow. And that is profound wisdom. But who doesn't know that? And he goes on here, verse 12. While it is still green and not cut down, yet it withers before any other plant. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, I, I mean, Bildad. Verse 13. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the godless will perish. Now, he's crude. He calls Job godless. He says that Job is a hypocrite, and Job's been covering up. And of course, that is not true. Now, verse 14 whose confidence is fragile and whose, tr whose trust a spider's web. He trusts in his house, but it does not stand. He holds fast to it, but it does not endure. Well, he says Job's been leaning up against a spider's web. He's been a hypocrite putting up a front. And this trouble has come to him now because of it. But Job's not been. Bildad is going to move on talking in this same vein. He says now, verse 16, He thrives before the sun, and his shoots spread out over his garden. His roots wrap around a rock pile. He grasps a house of stones. If he is removed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I never saw you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the dust others will spring. Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. Now, wait just a minute now. Is that actually true? Well, listen again to what he said there here. Verse 20, Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. Now, may I say to you, God has sure helped me a great deal, and I've been an evildoer. He saved me, my friend. And will God cast away a perfect man? No, he won't. But where is the perfect man? There's none. There's none righteous. Not even one. No, not one. You see, what he says, it seems true. But it's not true. When it goes into the test tube of life and you pour the acid of experience on it, it just isn't true. Now, verse 21, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. And listen to him now here, verse 22, those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the tent of the wicked will be no longer. 
And what he's saying is, Job, you're really coming to nothing because you're a great sinner. Now, this is not very helpful to someone who is in the position that Job is. You see, Bildad does not know God, and he does not know Job, and he really doesn't even know himself. He's a traditionalist. He thinks he can pick up a rock and put it under a microscope and tell you how the world began. He doesn't know. He's a smart boy, but he really just doesn't know. And you put yourself in the place of God when you advise someone in this manner. And Job is going to answer this in the next chapter. We're going to see that Job is pretty good at coming back. And Job is getting awfully weary because of this, but he does have a view a few good things to say and we're going to hear Job's answer to Bildad next time. I would encourage you to go back and read chapters 6 through 8 uh, in preparation for next time. Also go ahead and read forward through Job chapters 9 and 10 and we will attempt to get through that uh, during our next session. And until then, may God richly bless you my beloved. See you later. Instructions before leaving Earth. Basic instructions. Before